This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 34. This is Writing Excuses Survivorship Bias. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And with this podcast, I'm actually referencing a blog post that Toby Buckell did. Uh, we'll link in the liner notes, and he actually is referencing yet another blog post. Um, yet, I'm going to focus on Toby's, because basically the concept here is, I want us as a podcast to talk about and acknowledge our survivorship bias. The survivorship bias is the idea that in any sort of endeavor, you will start listening to the people who have been successful. Makes some pretty logical sense. And yet there's a fallacy based in, built into this, that if there is a lot of luck to the system then that may not be helpful for you. The example given is if you wrote a book on how to become a millionaire and interviewed only people who had won the lottery, you would receive a very skewed perspective on how to become a millionaire. And so the survivorship bias um, says that we pay attention to those who have been successful and assume that what they did to become successful is the way they became successful. And, and also that it will work for you. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Now, these things may all be true. In fact, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't think some of our experience would be helpful to those who are listening. However, I think what we have to do as a podcast is acknowledge some of the luck that went into us getting published, talk about maybe how we made that luck and how maybe that won't apply to those who are listening. So this is going to be a very odd podcast. (laughs) I hope this is helpful for you. But I want you, particularly as listeners, to be paying attention to the idea that we have been successful And that does not mean that what we did will work for you necessarily. I think another factor of this is just the speed with which the industry is changing. Yeah. That our success stories might not apply anymore at all just because of, you know, the way editors and agents and and everything has shifted in the past few years. I'll talk first about my experience. Um, I got published, and we've mentioned this several times on the, the blog, or on the blog, on the podcast, by writing a whole lot of books, by sending them to editors the traditional way, and by schmoozing editors at, at the science fiction fancy cons. Those were the three pillars of Brandon Sanderson's success. Um, writing lots of books, meeting editors, schmoozing them, and then sending out lots of books places. But what that leaves out is the fact that I could have written great books and just sent them to the wrong editors. Um, I sent them to a guy who, my, my editor, Moshe, um, he does not read what people send him. Like all of my, my students and a lot of my fans are like, I want to be published with Brandon's editor. I'll send to Moshe. Well, <laughs> everyone sent him these great books. Moshe has not gotten to any of them. Um, it annoys me. It frustrates me. But he hasn't read anything anyone sent him in two years. In fact, it took him 18 months to read my book when he first bought it. And so suddenly this whole idea of let's meet Brandon's editor you know, I love Moshe. He's a great guy. He's been a pod- on the podcast. He's given advice. But that advice is probably bad advice for you right now. And he would admit, don't send me your book because I won't read it because I'm bad at doing that. He's bad at doing what his job is, in other words. Well, and if you want to talk about skewed uh, mm-hmm. demographics, you and I have incredibly similar stories. Yes. We went to all the same cons together. We schmoozed the same editors. We have the same editor yes. uh, that we met at the same party. And so 50% of the writing advice you're getting on this podcast is coming from that background. Yes, where we went broken in exactly the same way. 
So, Mary, what would you maybe think, if you analyze this yourself, what pieces of your story might people take and overemphasize? Well, clearly, everyone looks at me and thinks that they need to be a professional puppeteer in order yes, to be uh, successful. Yes, obviously, yeah. <laughs> with an injury. Yes, with a professional injury. puppeteer yes. with an injury. Um, so for me, it's uh, what people will look at and think is that they need to write short stories in order to break in. Okay. I think because the and, – and one of the things that I want to talk about is that part of what people will look at is the external view of someone's career path and they mm -hmm. will draw – um, they will draw conclusions from that without understanding what's happening within what someone is doing. And, and also, you know... It's the principle of a 10-year overnight success. Right. You burst onto the scene with th these two short stories and then this novel, and what they don't realize is that there are actually two dozen short stories and a whole bunch of thrown-out drafts and a whole bunch mm -hmm. of meeting people. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so what it looks like, you know, is that I, I went to a whole bunch of conventions, I sold some short stories, mm -hmm. and because I did that and, and worked very hard to be prominent on the internet. Okay. The prominent on the internet's the part that I think that, and this could, this works for people. This yes. does. But that is really the core thing when, when I talk to people and when I, when I noticed your career was because everyone loves Mary. Mm -hmm. You just have to be as lovable as Mary <laughs> um, and write as well as Mary. Writing well is like, you know, well, we'll take that for granted. But people will fixate on the let's make a big platform. Let's get to know everybody. Let's be well known on the Internet. And I've seen people do that and fail spectacularly mm -hmm. at getting published. Yeah. And I think that what I, th I often look at things and, and think that people get fixated on on a specific ingredient mm -hmm. of someone's career without understanding kind of right. what the overall goal is, which is, at least my opinion, and this is, again, my survivorship bias, right. is that in today's society, the way publishing seems to be working right now, if you are approachable and agreeable, it is easier yes. to, to have a career. It is. Um, yeah. And certainly there are aspects of the career where that is totally true um or at least it looks like it right and though then, there are the jerks who make that exactly. jerk the way that they gain attention yes well and there are also people who you know don't do any of these things like mm -hmm. ted chang wins basically every time he is in a campbell category not a campbell a hugo mm -hmm. category everyone looks at it and goes well it's gonna be ted um but he has no internet he doesn't have facebook mm-hmm you know, he doesn't have Twitter. He's not, he does none of those make my public persona visible. So if I disable all of my social media access, I will win all of the Hugos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, yes. what do you think about your success story? Oh, People might imitate just by, try to imitate, like fixate on is the one thing. This is what Howard did, so it'll work for me. Um, I, God, I put you on so, the spot. Well, it's, the, here's the problem. Um, I got it through my head that webcomicking would be a fun way to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I wrote became the thing that is currently paying the bills. Right. All right. Um, that is, at risk of comparing myself to Pat Rothfuss, kind of Rothfussian. Mm -hmm. In that... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Rothfussian. <laughs> um, as opposed to Rothfusto Ra, which would be mm -hmm. something uh, that, else altogether. That would be silly. It would be. Um, or, yeah, no. <laughs> the point is, um, there are folks out there who think, oh, I just need to start the right webcomic. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and and it'll all take care of itself. Well, and and then, I've seen a yeah. lot of people. I've seen a lot of people uh, start web comics, and then three years, four years, five years later, say, "Oh, you know, it's not paying the bills yet. I got to quit." Well, mine wasn't paying the bills for five years. That doesn't mean, though, that if you go for six years, seven years, eight years, that, that a paycheck is right around the corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and sometimes people will get even more specific than that. They'll look at your success and, and think, ah, I need to write a space opera mm -hmm. comic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, what, that's the thing that I see a lot of writers do when they're starting out. It's like, oh, this book is successful, therefore I need to write books like that book. Mm -hmm. We're getting almost into... Cargo cult territory. Hmm. Well, yeah, we did this. do we did do a podcast on the uh, uh, affirming the consequences. Yes, um, yes. And but that's not what we're talking about. No. Here. What we're talking about here is you know legitimate things that we did right. And right. one of the legitimate things that I did right was I looked at where I thought web comics were weak, and mm -hmm. that was that they didn't update regularly. When the cartoonist got sick or had life or whatever, the comic would stop updating. And back in two thousand. It was a big deal when that happened because we didn't have RSS feeds. People weren't sending things out via email. Uh, there was no push technology mm -hmm. for webcomics. And so I thought, well, it's always going to be up at the same time, and I'm just going to structure my work habits around making that happen. Um, and people think that, well, oh, well, if I have a regular update schedule, right. then that will work. What they don't realize is that the regular update schedule did several things. It forced me to draw more regularly. It forced me to come far more disciplined with this project than I'd ever been with any project before then. Um, and and today, if I were doing that, there's no way that I would, uh, I would treat that as item the first. I would make sure that there was an RSS feed and right. Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Glitter and whatever else is with the two T's and the R and mm -hmm. the, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you Web 2.0 folks, but I would do it that way in order to make sure that the publicity engine worked. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Now, let's stop for our book of the week. Um, our book of the week this way, week is done by me. It's actually Elric. I'm gonna, uh, if you haven't read the Elric books, and I'm not going to actually try and pronounce the full title because I got it wrong like three times when we were prepping for this, um, but Elric was written by Michael Moorcock. Um, it is one of the great heroic fantasy series. It's about 
this guy who can live only because he's bound to this magical sword, keeps him alive, but it also like feasts on souls and forces him to kind of do these evil things. Um, he belongs to a race of people who have no morals. Um, all of this sounds very gritty and kind of like modern gritty heroic fantasy that's being pop um, that's popular right now, except he was doing this in the 70s. Um, and I find the books fantastic. They are about an anti-hero, so if anti-hero stuff isn't your thing, then okay. But they're, they're fa fascinating as you look at like the history of the fantasy genre as a whole. Um, and I just think they're fun, fantastic books um, to read. So the first one's just called El Elric of Melnibone? Melnibone. Melnibone. Elric of Meldamone, um, and they're delightful books. And Howard, how can they get them? Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Direct yourself and your browser out there. Start a 30-day free trial and pick up Elric of Meldamone by Michael Moorcock for free and have somebody read it to you, which will be awesome. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of Toby's um, blog post to you so that you guys can kind of hear what we're going on. Well, and this is like the second part of it. He says, if you've been successful, good on you. I'm thrilled when any artist breaks out to make a living. But genuinely understanding the survivorship bias means that there are plenty of people plugging the same formulas and not getting results that look even similar. There's a lot of snake oil sales going on and a lot of well-meaning people who won the lottery telling everyone to go buy lottery tickets while financial, financial advisors shake their head. Now, what the whole purpose of this podcast is not to tell you guys don't listen to us. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to say... You really should know this, I think, as a new writer trying to break in, which I assume a lot of our audience is. Um, you need to know that this is right. That just because we're successful or just because someone is successful doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. And I have talked to a lot of people who are writing instructors, instructors um, who give terrible advice, particularly about breaking into the industry. There's one famous story where I had some students come to me in my class once, and an author who had broken in uh, told them that the thing they needed to do was send one of their, um, send a photo of themselves along with their submission <clears throat> because they wanted to treat it like, they said, he said, get professional headshots and send them along. It'll make you look more professional. It'll make the, um, the oh. editors think oh. that you're, you know, a big deal. <laughs> And it'll like, and I had like three students come to me saying, "I've got to go get professional headshots." This guy's saying we need to do professional headshots, and I'm like, "What?" But it worked for him, so yeah. he assumes that that's. And I, I would hope that the headshot didn't have anything to do with it, but I don't know. Like that sort of thing, you get lots of weird advice. Have you guys seen anything like that, where something really weird has gone around the community, like the the fad diet version of how to get published? I've seen a lot of it with self-publishing these days. Um, where it seems like somebody gets big in self-publishing and everybody says, we, this must be the big thing in self-publishing. Do I? Yes. What do I do? You keep doing this when you talk about the novellas. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Burn! Well, no, but it's, and it's true that, that you are having incredible success with the novellas right. and a couple of other authors are having incredible success with novellas. Mm -hmm. But... Because, but these are people, so it's easy to look at them and go, oh, well, this is this looks like it's a good idea. Yes. But these are all authors who already have a, a platform. Right. And the idea of then attempting to sell a novella when you have no platform is, it seems like, it, it's that that's one of the, the spots where I look at you and go, Brandon, do you have any idea what you're telling other people to do because other people don't have the platform that you do? Right. No, that's true. People don't have my platform at all. And that's 
a lot of the things I do that are successful are because of that. Now, I granted, seen... I, I have seen a lot of success with novellas. I think that people doing 35,000 worders mm -hmm. is working better online than people doing 120,000 worders. Yes. Yes, but I think, I suspect that there are also a lot of them that are going mm -hmm. absolutely nowhere. Yes, and this is a case where, um, you know, we're talking about survivorship bias. Uh, mm -hmm. Nassim Nicholas Taleb described this as failure to check the graveyard. Mm -hmm. We need to look at the people who are writing novellas and having zero traction, zero success, and find out where they are similar to the people who are having success, where they are different to the people who are having success, so that we can find out what it is that actually sells a novella yeah. online. Right. It may be the platform. It may be the color blue in the cover. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, mm. And without data, you don't know. No. You, you can't figure that out. Um, I had a very successful Kickstarter in um, uh, February, March of 2013. I never know when these episodes are going to air, so I'm just going to start saying it that way um, instead of last week or two right. months ago. Um, very successful <laughs> Kickstarter, and there were a, there was a whole raft of copycat Kickstarters mm -hmm. um, that were making essentially the same sort of merchandise that I made, and everybody was puzzling over why they were failing. Um, well, guys, it it was all platform. There were also Kickstarters that ran uh, similar to mine in that they were structured similarly, but they were offering something different. And they were very puzzled as to why they were failing. The way I built my Kickstarter, I capitalized on my platform. There are rules that will work for most Kickstarters. You know, have a short video, uh, document things clearly, really high-level sorts of easy stuff. But ultimately, none of those are a guarantee of success. Mm -hmm. um, and yet people were puzzled. Man, I did it just like just like Howard did, and, and I haven't cracked... 10% funding. Yeah, and I know lots of people who, you know, the, again, with the these survivorship bias that I have, which is mm -hmm. that you have to go to a lot of conventions and meet lots of people. Right. And, and I absolutely know people who don't do any of that. And I know lots of people who have done that, and then they don't get, they yes. don't have the success. And, and it sometimes makes me scratch my head where I say, well, that worked so well for me. What, what are you doing wrong? Yeah. When it's not, <laughs> does that make yeah. sense? Like yeah. that's that's the thing that I think all of us need to be aware of is the scratch your head and say, well, what are you doing wrong? I guess, yeah. you know, you must be doing something wrong. Otherwise, the formula would have worked for you. I was sitting next to Jake you. Black at uh, LTUE in 2005 on a panel, and Jake said, people ask me all the time how you break into comics. And uh, my response, and he was quoting somebody else, my response is, when you break into comics, it's a little, little bit, little bit like breaking into a maximum security facility. You break in, and they look at you, and they say, ah, "You got in. Tell, tell us how you did it, so we can patch that hole up, so nobody else gets in." And so I can tell you how I broke in, but that hole is gone. <laughs> All right, we need a writing prompt, um, and I got, I got one. Go for it. Okay, uh, go back to the cargo cult idea. Mm -hmm. A very successful author or artist and whatever, and then they have a fan who decides they're going to emulate their life in every aspect in order to achieve their same success. Excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. About somebody wearing my skin. <laughs>